You're listening to the Design Engineering Podcast, where we explore topics important to Canada's mechanical engineers, product designers, and machine builders. I'm Mike McLeod, editor of Design Engineering Magazine, and in this episode, I interview Tim Long, Global Head of Manufacturing at Snowflake, a cloud-based data storage and analysis company similar to AWS or Microsoft Azure. In April, the company launched its Manufacturing Data Cloud, a service tailored for IIoT data and its transformation into useful performance and diagnostic metrics. During the interview, Tim digs into how Snowflake differs from other large players in the industry, as well as the ins and outs of manufacturing data storage and how manufacturers are leveraging that data to gain insight into their operations. Hi, Tim. Welcome to the Design Engineering Podcast. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. Thank you for joining me. Just to start off, could you introduce yourself and uh, what company you work for and what you do there? Absolutely. My name is Tim Long, and I, I lead the go-to-market team for our manufacturing vertical at Snowflake, the data cloud company. I've been at Snowflake just about a couple of years now, focusing on manufacturing customers around the world. And before joining Snowflake, uh, I was in a practitioner role. So, um, in fact, this is the second time I've bet my career on Snowflake. The first time when I was lead is when I was leading a large um, semiconductor data and analytics team where we moved all our data to Snowflake in the cloud. And so I'm thrilled to be on this side of the table um, and, and all the opportunities to meet with so many customers now. Well, so you, were you impressed enough during your process of what I imagine was quite a, a large project? to say, wow, these guys really know what they're doing? Or did they just see, wow, this, this guy's a hotshot, let's, let's snatch him away from, uh, or a combination of the two, maybe? Yeah, well, I've never been described as a hotshot. So oh, okay. pull that one out right away. But I can tell you that <laughs> when I was evaluating Snowflake as a practitioner or leading a team of practitioners, it quickly stood out as the best uh, data platform built for the cloud. And I think that comes down to just, Snowflake's history and its roots where, you know, our founders left Oracle 10 to 12 years ago and decided to rethink how data is managed now that the cloud's capabilities were available. And hmm. all of this tremendous scale and cost really changed the game of how data are managed and um, how analytics can be done on those data. So the product tended to really stand out amongst many of the other solutions in the market that were uh, you know, more really about just porting some on-premise architecture to run in the cloud. Snowflake was fresh and that's what made it different. And that's what helped Snowflake sort of sell itself um, throughout the data and analytics community. Gotcha. So you've, I mean, but the important thing is that you've been in the trenches. You've seen it from an out, as from an outsider's position and seeing how that process of uploading, creating the uh, the story and uh, doing the analytics, all of that from like a real, um, someone who is interfacing with the company and, and not of the company as at that point. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. I've, I have the scars of, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, 20 years of experience trying to build these solutions using other technologies and um, I found that Snowflake is really, you know, different in many ways. And I can tell you, you know, just in terms of my experience as a practitioner, um, the number one feedback from the business is they need data faster. The business needs the information available uh, from all the different systems they interact with 
in one place so they can make better decisions faster. And so many traditional technologies in the data and analytics space just could not perform at the speed that we needed to move as a business. And so that's where Snowflake really settled in is that solution that could help us move quickly. Yeah, I guess I always think of it as the challenges of getting the data from, from me to you, uh, but I hadn't considered the the challenges of getting that back in a way that is useful. Um, and I think, well, yeah, could you speak to that? Like, is that as in your history of what, what was the main challenge of getting the information back in a timely matter that in a, in a way that that was useful. Yeah, absolutely. So traditionally, data are incredibly siloed in an organization. Most mm. large enterprises have thousands of IT systems, each with their own data backend that is completely firewalled away from every other system. And the reality is in today's business decision um, world, you really need information from multiple sources and you need to be able to tie that together to give you that end-to-end -end visibility in an enterprise um, and made no more apparent than our focus on supply chains today, right? Mm -hmm. About everything from not just within my organization, what inventory do I have across all of my factories and warehouses, but also gaining insight into my suppliers or my downstream, you know, logistics or even the customer base. That type of visibility is, you know, is really shown to be critical for organizations to restore uh, resiliency and performance into their supply chains. And, and that difficulty, bring data across different silos is a place where Snowflake really excels, right? And one of our strengths is making it really easy for our customers to bring data in from a variety of sources. And we have a lot of amazing partnerships with technology companies that have really built um, special integrations with sources like, like SAP, for example. Pulling data from SAP is something that many manufacturers um, would like to do or are on the journey to do to provide, you know, provide that global visibility um, across their enterprise. Or pulling data from the shop floor. How do I get data out of these equipment, which could be decades old? And uh, hmm. um, how do I access the insights that they have to help explain very nuanced uh, variations of you know, anything happening on the shop floor so I can improve my yield? We have the partnerships and the technology that make that a whole lot easier for manufacturers to bring all that data together so you can begin building those insights. Just to set the groundwork, could you explain, uh, say, the difference between a data lake? I'm sure these are terms that a lot of our audience have probably come across, may not know the, you know, the, the true definitions of these things. So data lake, data warehouse, data lake house, I think is a term where Snowflake sort of which of those Snowflake is most like, or maybe not like any of them? I'm I'm not quite sure, but if you could if you could speak to those different things and and where you guys fit in it. Yeah, so you know, data warehousing is really um, something that is is very structured in terms of the very formal rows and columns of data that are well defined and well thought out in advance. Uh, data marts facts and dimensions, things that um, classic BI is really geared towards accessing um, very structured, prepared data. Data lake is exactly the opposite. It can be very unstructured. It can be um, no thought put into how to organize the data in a way that's fit for purpose. 
simply a play in uh, pumping all of your organization's data into one location such that when you do have a question, you have it in one place where you can build a schema on demand and start asking questions of the data. So they're kind of on opposite ends. Now, Data Lakehouse is a concept that really rides in the middle where um, you still have some of the governance capabilities um, that are provided by traditional data warehousing. And you have some of the traditional tools that make it easier to work with that data, but it still is flexible and dynamic so you can move quickly from raw data to insight. And Snowflake really plays in all three of those those domains. It really depends on sort of uh, you know the the use case and and where the business is focused at the moment. Gotcha. So when we're talking warehouse, a traditional warehouse, we're talking about structured relational databases sitting in your case in the cloud. It could be on a server anywhere, but in this in in your instance, it's 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 a cloud instance of this. Now for Clarity's sake, you guys are like AWS or Azure, or you sit on top of, uh, it's like a layer on top of just yeah. to, how does, how does that, how is that relationship with those, you know, those, those brand names that everyone sort of has in their head as to this kind of space. Sure. The easiest way to think about it, Mike, is that Snowflake is one of the largest customers of the, uh, hyperscalers, whether that's AWS, Microsoft, Azure, or GCP. And we do run on top as a managed service. So we leverage the cloud's strengths in terms of scale um, and cost efficiencies. And we are you know, the world's largest data environment spanning across all three of those clouds. So um, we, we are both a customer and a partner of the data cloud, or sorry, the data, um, sorry, the cloud providers, uh, and we run on top. So they provide the raw storage. I'm just, I'm trying to get to the bits that really sort of set Snowflake apart from those so sure. that they don't, don't get sort of, so there are, if I understand it correctly, there are different layers to this kind of service. There's a data layer, there's a, or there's a storage layer, there's, there's sort of the compute layer, and then there's a services layer. And depending on what kind of service it is, they can be either tightly linked together, they can be sort of decoupled from each other if i understand snowflake's model so there's kind of a uh, a shared storage or there's a no shared kind of uh infrastructure how would you describe snowflake's um organiz you know be under the hood kind of organization yeah i would explain it um in this way if you're trying to compare and contrast snowflake from the solutions that the other cloud providers may offer um, the first difference is we run across all three, um, so we're cloud agnostic, and we see we see a lot of um, manufacturing organizations specifically who have a presence in multiple clouds, and so they can use Snowflake regardless of which cloud they're operating on in in which particular region. Um, and the the other benefit of that multi-cloud uh, presence and capability is we can share data directly from one cloud environment to another mm. in a very seamless, secure an efficient way. So we see large multinational manufacturing organizations where maybe they have, you know, some of their their central core data, you know, that um, source of record data maybe is stored in one cloud region, but other cloud regions need access to that. They can simply share that using what we call SnowGrid, uh, which is our data sharing capability at Snowflake. And then the second way to think about how we're different is we have one product at Snowflake. It's a managed service 
we keep everything simple. Uh, we, we have this tremendous ability to scale up and scale down on demand. And that makes it a, a lot easier than maybe some of you know, what the other cloud providers provide, which is a, a toolbox of all kinds of different tools and products that you can, you can connect together and create solutions. We simplify it all into one managed service, all under one roof um, in Snowflake. Yeah, it's that scalability that I thought was kind of uh, impressive. The, the virtual warehouses, the mm -hmm. sort of distributed data, it's not one disk being asked uh, a multitude of questions or SQL kind of queries one after another such that the drive can be the bottleneck uh, or it's not, uh, you know, you can set up virtual warehouses that can then be focused at a particular thing. All of this sort of spins up and spins down. It can go from a small instance to a large instance back to a small instance, depending on what the day-to-day -day or hour-to-hour needs of the business are yeah so that's exactly that's exactly right mike if you think about and i think this will resonate with your listeners here but how many organizations schedule their data refreshes to run between two and five in the morning hmm. and it's not because that's the best sample of data that the organization can take it's because that's when they have resources available um, and so what snowflake architecture eliminated from day one was that contention problem the idea that I have to somehow strategically schedule all of my data refreshes and, and workloads based upon uh, you know, fear of running out of resources anytime. Because Snowflake was built for the cloud and we had this concept of separating out the storage layer from these compute warehouses that you mentioned, uh, you can run any number of compute warehouses of any size from just a couple of cores of processing power to thousands. You can turn them on and off dynamically as needed, all operating on the same, same storage layer of data. And that's really something that makes uh, Snowflake very unique compared to uh, the competition. Yeah, yeah. Just not having to plan out, do we need to build a parking lot or a, a church large enough for Easter and then just exactly. waste, you know what I mean, the rest of the year? <laughs> or, um, yeah, just the constant having to pre-plan or you know, do your laundry in the middle of the night because the, you know, the bill is lower. I don't know if that's a good analogy, but just all of that, that cruft that goes on around these, here are all the tools, put it together however you want. Well, you know, how many businesses are data, have data scientists in-house to to do that kind of complex um, right. MacGyvering? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you when, as a, in the practitioner role, you know, traditionally, you have to allocate significant, uh, very senior uh, resources in the administration space just to keep these systems running um, and to avoid hitting your head on the ceiling. And Snowflake, with our elastic model, really changed the game there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What is semi-structured data as opposed to the kind of structured data or the data lake where we're just dumping uncontextualized information into a into a virtual basin yeah so you know structured data is what we think of traditionally as you know rows and columns things that put fit nicely in a spreadsheet or a table of data um, unstructured are typically things thought of as like documents or images video um, audio waves things that are otherwise not traditionally thought of as um, nice tidy data semi-structured sits in the middle 
Um, it's generally has some structure provided to it, um, but it's often hierarchical in nature. So in a manufacturing context, you know, it could be that um, you have a semi-structured data that is a, a definition of an asset in the manufacturing environment, right? It's a, it's a tool and it has a name, but then it has many different chambers and chamber one has these types of properties. And so it, it has that hierarchical step down. Um, so there is some structure, but it's much loose, looser definitions and it can change um, depending on, you know, from one tool to another, it sort of can expand and grow and become more complex and rich um, without these formal constraints that typical structured rows and columns require. Gotcha. Now, is that something that, as I understand it, Snowflake is uh, somewhat unique in the market in that it can handle and make use of that kind of information, either through a JSON file or or the other different kinds of um, amalgamation, just here's a bunch of data in a file um, and it gets uploaded or or streamed or what or whatever and, and can be used even though it's not in that nice rows, columns, relational database structure. Yes, exactly, Mike. And one of the examples I'll share with you of where this becomes incredibly valuable to manufacturers is in the context of bringing shop floor data you know, from the basement to the cloud those data are best represented in a semi-structured way. Mm -hmm. as, as I just mentioned, an asset and these, these, um, these components and these measurements are being drawn from that asset. And the, what we believe is the most efficient way for manufacturers to capture that data and gain access to it at scale is to pursue what's known as an edge-driven strategy. Meaning I define the asset at the edge or in the factory itself it has these properties, it has these measurements, and the definition lives there. Uh, and that data then is captured and formatted in that semi-structured way, which is typically JSON, if you're familiar with that type of a format. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it's streamed into Snowflake. Now, Snowflake has the, the unique capabilities of auto-expanding that uh, semi-structured data into a structured way, a structured format. So we can mm -hmm. take the definition that that we uh, deduce from the uh, the message, and we can translate those into rows and columns that make it very easy for things like you know AI and ML to work with, which are traditionally trained against um, you know row and column type of structured formats, uh, as well as any type of BI tools as well. So to find the asset at the edge, it all replicates into the cloud and, and dynamically expands into formats that are easy to use. That's a special capability of Snowflake. So for manufacturing um, um, entities that want to connect to Snowflake, say they've got all of their ducks in a row. They've got their, uh, they've got their OT data, sort of everything's either got like an IT gateway, uh, IoT gateway, uh, or it's it's more... Uh, nuance or, or more modern. It's got all that sort of built into it. All their higher level stuff, the uh, the SCADA systems, the PLCs and stuff. Those are hooking into maybe their MES and their and their um, their other higher level sort of carpet floored IT uh, parts are hooked in. And now they're they're hooked. They want to hook up to like a snowflake. How is that facilitated? What, well, what's, the, what's the standard structure for that? Sorry. Okay, yes. So I don't know if there's a standard structure, but I, I will maybe start by commenting that most manufacturers that I talk with and, and probably 
spoken with you know hundreds at this point in my couple of years at Snowflake, they're still wrapping their arms around how to tap into all those data across all those different systems and bring it sure. together. Um, and so I think that that's still emerging in terms of whether standard is there. Now okay. for Snowflake, we have some partnerships that we've developed with, with experts in the industry that help make that a lot faster journey to access data directly from equipment or from PLCs or from uh, historians, for example, which are very common in, in the process uh, manufacturing space. So we've approached that by developing partners who are experts in accessing those proprietary um, data formats and bringing them to life in Snowflake. Uh, so these are, would these be like translation sort of, like yeah. we have different protocols, maybe different kinds of manufacturers, Precisely. all of this is sort of locked behind proprietary unique kinds of uh you know field bus technologies or anything like that and so this is a sort of like a translation to a common to a common uh language that that snowflakes databases can ingest and and make sense of yeah exactly so i'll give you an example with features some of the partners that we announced in our manufacturing data cloud launch just this april yeah um so if you think about all the way from the equipment itself which could be decades old it can be difficult to extract the data from how that equipment is operating. And so we have a partnership with Opto22, okay. who makes right. hardware devices that can connect directly to a variety of equipment from a variety of interfaces, pretty much anything you can imagine. Um, and they're certified for industrial application. On that hardware, they can run software from inductive automation known as Ignition. And Ignition is a very common solution in amongst the manufacturing space and the special capability they're bringing in here is that ability to translate amongst the hundreds of different protocols that these equipment may be speaking, the grammars and the, um, the protocols. And they can consolidate that into a messaging format um, known as MQTT. And a partnership that we have with CirrusLink, um, CirrusLink has a MQTT message bus. Um, CirrusLink CTO, coincidentally, created or invented, co-invented, co I believe, MQTT. Um, and they standardized the data in the Sparkplug format, Sparkplug B specifically. And that's the format, that semi-structured format that flows into Snowflake streaming interface and, and uh, lands in those, those tables so, um, so nicely and neatly uh, that are expanded into rows and columns. So that's an example of an end-to-end -end flow, all the way from tapping data uh, into data directly off the equipment and into a very efficient and secure streaming service to Snowflake. Um, other examples with historians, uh, some of the historians were working directly with the software providers who, who sell these historians on-premise um, to create connectors for Snowflake. Others, we have partnerships who have, you know, um, figured out how to bring data efficiently without losing the context that the historian provides. Uh, so we have a variety of different techniques to bring those data from the floor to Snowflake. And are there, there's something called Snowpipe and then, and then was that superseded by Snowflake streaming or are they different solutions that have appropriate uses for each, uh, for different kinds of applications or? Yeah, I mean, think of them both as highly efficient ways to bring data into Snowflake. Snowpipe uh, more generally focused towards batch of, of data, and it's very efficient at bringing in large batches of data. Snow, uh, 
and then the streaming is really about how do I reduce latency to smaller, um, more micro batch or, or a more efficient, you know, reduce latency near real time types of data loads. Okay. Is there something I think I think we've touched on a little bit, but just just in case uh, anything got skipped over, is there something unique about OT data that separates it, its ingestion, its its structure, uh, putting it into some kind of structured uh, sem or semi-structured way uh, that can be useful, that separates it from traditional IT data that you guys have been dealing with since twenty. 2012, 2014, when you guys got started. Right. Um, and you mentioned that the manufacturing side, the part that you captain, uh, is relatively new since April, I think you said. Um, is there something different about OT data that that presents special challenges or or that that requires a, a different uh, uh, an over and above what a, a non-manufacturing client might yeah. need? Well, I mean, traditionally, IT data and, and OT data have been um, separated. They've been firewalled yeah. away from each other. And, and particularly, OT data is generally firewalled, firewalled away from everything um, to protect the operations of the, the factory or the manufacturing processes. Uh, so it's by nature difficult to access. It's also tended to be managed by different groups of people, people that are focused more on the engineering or the productivity of the shop floor than they are on things like IT security and IT standards and enterprise architectures and, and emerging technologies and things like that. So they're coming from a different place. So the, the fundamental difference between the two is, is really OT data is just difficult to, to bring out of those systems into a place that can be combined with IT data. Uh, the OT data is, uh, you know, tends to be semi-structured or unstructured, uh, you know, whether it's the e data coming from the equipment or it could be in many cases for leading manufacturers, it could be imagery or videos, you know, mm. being pulled from cameras uh, on the OT network. So um, it may be different in format, but I think probably the biggest difference is just it's harder to access and bring to life in an environment where you have the scale to work with it. And that's where the partnerships that I just described that Snowflake's brought forward as part of our manufactured data cloud launch really help things become a lot easier. It's, it, is that, it is that conjunction of the IT and the OT spheres that seems to be one of the big mm -hmm. um, challenges to moving towards an IIoT or Industry 4.0 um, uh, paradigm or or way of doing business or philosophy or however you want to put that. You know, we hear regularly, at least in my sphere, about high failure rate of digital transformation. Hmm. And do you have a sense that this may be, if this is too large a question, I'll try and maybe pare it down but do you have a sense of what is the main as a practitioner of before and and now working with a number of clients is there something are there a, t a few top challenges that account for that that difficulty when companies make that try and make that transformation now speaking from my own experience i've seen some projects take um uh, the business lose patience with some mm -hmm. projects it's generally a speed to value, a time to value challenge. And a lot of times, um, you know, the, the approaches that I've seen be problematic are when there's substantial capital investment up front. There's these large ambitions 
And it's generally new teams that are still forming and, and trying to accomplish these moonshots. Uh, and the business loses patience after seeing that, that capital, you know, not return value for six, 12, 18, 24 months. So what I learned to be very successful as a practitioner is um, to think small and scale up. So one thing um, as it relates to what Snowflake can offer to manufacturers who, who choose to approach these problems in that way is, is Snowflake's consumption model. You can start with a very modest investment in Snowflake for a, one particular use case, prove the ROI, and then scale up as you need versus some of the other approaches which require upfront capital investments where that payback may be years down the road. Um, so my, you know, the wisdom, what little I have, I'd say, <laughs> um, I've definitely learned that the key is to stay focused on where you have that real ROI and um, scale up as uh, you have success and use the success of one project to fund the success of the next one. So far as, so I think I just wanted to lay the groundwork for, we have the storage component, we have the connection between the enterprise and Snowflake. And then the snowflake for manufacturing part of it is layering on that. Okay, we've got the data; mm -hmm. it's in a form we can. It's it's all together in one sort of big basket. We can access all of it. Now it's fitting it together in ways that I figure out. I find out something I didn't know. It could be an OE calculation or a cycle time. It could be uh, a lot of different things. So. Uh, this part of it or your part of the part of it that you oversee is that layer of the analytics, the the making sense of the data into some kind of information that that companies can act upon. Yeah, you've got it exactly right, Mike. So for something that sounds as simple as OEE, think of all the different data sources that are required to truly understand the efficiency of the of the shop floor. And whether it's the ERP data, it's information from your quality system, it's information from your asset management or equipment management system. And then of course it's information from the equipment themselves and how they're performing. All of that really needs to be accessible in a way to truly understand and drill down into problems that are, that are holding you back in your overall efficiency or productivity of your factory. Um, and then likewise on the yield side, it's not enough to just have your the MES data or your process data, everything that went into the production. You have to understand what was happening um, within the, the equipment or the tools themselves to really achieve that next level of yield improvement. What is the subtlety? What is different about this process, this batch versus the last batch? And being able to tie that back to root causes that are getting harder and harder to find, you really need additional data. From, from the OT environment, and you really need um, you know, machine learning at scale to find those patterns amongst those thousands and thousands or millions and millions of observations um, to really move to that next level. And that's where technologies like Snowflake um, are really helping manufacturers to achieve. Okay. What other kinds of analytics? We talked about uh, sort of like performance, KPIs. Are there other, are there other kinds of analytics that that this data can reveal or give insight into? Of course, uh, across, I mean, the, the beautiful thing about where we're at in today's 
um, revolution of AI and, and machine learning is uh, every line of business, every function within the business is looking to bring artificial intelligence to their business processes. And with some of the, the more recent announcements we've made with Snowflake, with having more native machine learning functions available inside of Snowflake, um, we're seeing a lot of interest in things like traditional forecasting, demand forecasting, for example. How can I create a clearer picture, reduce the uncertainty, uh, so I can better plan which products to start in my factory? And we have native forecasting tools now available in Snowflake. Um, and the great thing about those tools available in Snowflake is uh, a couple of things. One is you can you know, build forecasts, not only considering your own you know, past sales orders as, a, as an example, but I can also bring in data from my, my collaborators in the industry, could be customers, could be suppliers that can share data directly with me in a very simple way. And I can include that data in my forecasting model or uh, I can look to Snowflake's marketplace where we have approaching 2000 different data products available, where I can look at macroeconomic signals that may help my demand forecast become, you know, more robust, or I can look at trends in consumer purchasing behaviors or, or maybe um, events around, you know, um, around the world that are useful in predicting demand for my products like permitting or things like that. Those are all available in Snowflake's marketplace. So we're seeing a lot of interest in manufacturers tap into additional data and use our native tools to create um, a better forecasting engine. And that's just one example. You can really see across the board, whether it's more sustainable sourcing analytics, um, you know, using benchmarks from our marketplace on, you know, maybe carbon footprint of different suppliers or, or risk within supplier base. Um, whether it's uh, delivering product more efficiently, you know, optimizing for, uh, cost and, and delivery across a variety of different mode or lane options. We have data and tools to help manufacturers do that. And then lastly, I'll just close with, you know, so many products these days um, that are produced, many of them have power. And when they have power, they have network generally, and those are creating data, um, IOT data specifically. And, and many of our customers in the automotive space, for example, connected vehicles or the appliance space, with connected oh, right. products, those data are finding their way back to Snowflake. Uh, and those manufacturers are using that data to do things like, you know, understand the product performance in, in, the, in the field and using that insight to develop the next generation of that product or perhaps improve quality over the air in that product by doing updates. And then lastly, um, offering higher value services, recommending maintenance at a more precise time or um, recommending, you know, better operating um, instructions to the asset owner, like fleet management. How do you operate this fleet of vehicles more efficiently to reduce your overall spend on fuel and to improve the useful life of the asset? All of those things come together when you have your data brought in one location, like Snowflake's data cloud, all of those things become possible with the tools we provide. Gotcha. And I'm thinking like the the more traditional sort of use cases as well, uh, anomaly detection, sure. uh, predictive maintenance. I think the one that kind of um, really sort of uh, grabs my attention is sort of the supply chain resiliency as well, mm -hmm. being able to get and transfer data from, say, the people downstream or upstream or both to get a, a sense of, I think the, I think the, uh, 
the example that comes to mind is that there was a, uh, something about work you guys have done with Honeywell. And they had like three and a half million different SKUs. Each one might have one between one and a thousand parts coming from 55,000 different suppliers traveling by train, ship, uh, you know, airplane, whatever, and having to organize all of that in the most sort of uh, predictable and um, sustainable way. Uh, I can't even imagine just regular the fleet of people that would need to to be able to do that, and uh, for a company like Honeywell, um, is that where is is that where marketplace comes in? Can can if 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 a manufacturer has suppliers who are also a part of that that marketplace that they can tap into that, or is that more is that more something that's simply done between partners and wouldn't necessarily go through the marketplace concept? Yeah, it's both, Mike. I, I would okay. say in the case of the Honeywell example, they were able to do that with without the marketplace input. Okay. Um, and it's worth maybe drilling down on this in just a moment because I think this will resonate with a lot of uh, your listener base, which is so many manufacturers have grown through merger and acquisition uh, over time. And as a result, they're often sort of you know saddled with uh, dozens or even over 100 ERP systems. And Honeywell is not an exception from that. They had, I think, over, over 30 different ERP systems, as you mentioned, three and a half million SKUs. And it was impossible for them to achieve uh, enterprise-wide visibility without consolidating that data in a place. And then, of course, having access to that in near real time so they can really make smart decisions about um, you know, where to, when and where to replenish in their supply chain and how to price products efficiently for their customers. And so they did a couple of really amazing things there. One is um, they were able to get that enterprise-wide inventory visibility. So they knew where their risk was at and they could focus their analysts on those risks. And they were also able to trace the effects of inflation back to, you know, through all their raw materials they bring in or components they bring in and transfer, you know, the effects of those, that inflation very elegantly to, you know, the products and how they price um, for their end customers. But the other thing they did, as it speaks to supply chain resiliency, is because they had all this data together, they developed a, a predictive model that would actually predict when, um, when a supplier's replenishment is likely to arrive. Not when the supplier committed to having it at your doorstep, but when is it likely to arrive based upon historical or more recent performance. So they got a leg up on, you know, the surprises that can could unfortunately, um, you know, catch organizations off guard when they were expecting to have that replenishment order, you know, on a Friday. And but in reality, it's not arriving until Wednesday or maybe the week later. Honeywell was able to do that with the data they had. Gotcha. It's sort of that Amazon concept of track. I mean, it it sounds bad, but I mean tracking their customers uh, and using different kinds of uh, demographic data and just sort of put it all together in a way of we based on all these other purchases that we have in our uh, in our database we can kind of guess what you're going to want 6 months from now in a way that if you live in a particular part of the country and we see a, a demand a spike demand or project a, uh, we can move those skews to that location prior to you even that customer ordering it such that we can get it to you in 48 hours as opposed to it having to come from California to a warehouse in Chicago to 
to, I mean, in my case, you know, to, to Toronto and it, there's no way it's going to get to me in 48 hours in that case. Yeah, exactly. I think that, you know, that level of demand forecast precision is something that is very, very difficult to achieve. There's so much uncertainty in demand forecasting. Our goal is just to help reduce that uncertainty, give a more, you know, improve the precision of, of what the demand signal actually is. And we do that through a variety of different data sources, as you just called out. Ultimately, you, you cannot get a perfect demand forecast. So you still need the speed and agility in the supply chain. And that's where that enterprise visibility, what is my current inventory level at this warehouse at this time? Not what was it at midnight yesterday or midnight last week. I need to know where it is today so I can take actions um, immediately as quickly as possible to keep things moving. And that's how you really reduce costs and you make sure you, you capture those, those sales opportunities. Right, right. I guess for a lot of smaller, I mean, if you're not Honeywell, yeah, you know, a lot of companies have somebody who's going around with like a, you know, like with a, a clipboard and sort of maybe writing down numbers. And then at the end of the day, putting that into an Excel spreadsheet that then gets, you know, put together. And then maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a month later, you have sort of a rough OEE number that comes up on the big ticker board. And what you're saying is, wouldn't it be great if we could get that? What was it last hour? Whatever the metric, uh, warehouse, you know, inventory levels or or OE numbers or cycle times or whatever, whatever it is. Yeah, exactly, Mike. It's hard to imagine operating in today's turbulence um, with not having that, you know, near real time view into what you have and what your sales are going to look like. Um, and, but you're right. Uh, and I think, you know, what we're trying to do in Snowflake is make it easier for organizations of any scale, whether the, you know, the Honeywells of the world or they're the mom and pop, you know, custom part manufacturers to get into a more digital industrial mode using tools like Snowflake, where you don't have to have a multi-million dollar investment to get started. These can be smaller investments that help you move with speed and help you improve your, your data management overall. And taking away that complexity of having to be a, an expert in all these different, very challenging kinds of technologies, and then fitting them all together, and even connecting the enterprise to the, the data storage. I mean, that's just a whole skill set that a lot of companies don't have and wouldn't even know where to start with. I, I don't know. I, I find that kind of impressive, the way Snowflake has said, okay, we've done all the really complex bits. Mm -hmm. And you just need to, this is what we need from you and we'll kind of do the rest. Although uh, obviously companies can get in there and tinker with the SQL code and all that kind of thing. But there is that layer of, we've taken a lot of the complication out of this. Yes. Simplicity is definitely a value that we hold, um, you know, in terms of our product design. And I, maybe it'll make a, just to put a finer point on, on what you just said there, uh, as we're seeing um, our customers really embrace some of these newer capabilities for things like uh, advanced analytics and machine learning is we're, our customers are able to access a whole lot more users because the environment is so much simpler. They don't have to be experts in Spark or Scala or Unix or Linux or whatever other types of technologies, the cloud providers, you know, specific stack, if they know SQL, 
then they're they're up and running. And SQL is one of the easiest you know um, languages to learn and the most popular language used for operating on data. Um, and of course, our support for Python. If they happen to know Python, then they can go really far, really fast with some of the advanced methods that Python provides. But uh, that's a place where we're seeing success is uh, our customers being able to open up these tools to many more people, these citizen uh, data scientists or, or information workers across an organization. They're able to democratize these tools much faster. Gotcha. So we touched on a little bit, but moving on to the, the more recent um, partnerships with NVIDIA and all of their hardware that goes, I mean, they're, they're sort of the darling of the AI boom of, of 2023. Mm -hmm. um, and also Microsoft with their acquisition or investment in the OpenAI platform. And they're also strong sort of position in that. They, <laughs> Snowflake has recently announced new partnerships with both Microsoft and NVIDIA. Are these technologies to answer the question, like OEE, as a manufacturer, I would know what information to draw. Like I would know what numbers to plug in where, mm -hmm. but there are questions I don't know to ask. I imagine with all that data, there are probably questions, the answers of which are in there that I don't know to ask, or I didn't, you know what I mean? Like spotting the troubles I didn't even know I had. Uh, is that where the a the ML, uh, the machine learning and and artificial intelligence comes in? Yeah, and I we can we can talk about the specific partnerships after that and stuff. But yeah. just out of curiosity, I think that I think it's going to come in through a few different places. So in terms of what generative AI can do for industry and specifically manufacturing, it'll come in a lot of forms. The first form I think that we'll see is just making it easier to access and work with data. Um, sort of reducing that the technical barrier required to query and ask questions of data, those questions will become much more human in nature, right? Mm. Uh, what were my sales? What were, how many parts on the floor? What's my OEE? Those will become available through a much more natural way of, of querying data than writing code. So I think that's going to be that first place where we, we see as an industry, um, some of those barriers break down. Now, when you get into specific use cases uh, within manufacturing, I think there's some really interesting ideas out there. I think it's still really early, um, but I think probably that next wave that we'll see in terms of how generative AI or, or large language models um, are used in a manufacturing context are through a few different ways. One is I think that um, we're going to see the, the human machine interface become much more human. And um, hmm. similar to what I just described of accessing and working with data, it'll be the same of operating equipment. You can ask the equipment questions, you can get responses, um, and uh, that whole operation will be a lot simpler than clicking buttons or running keyboards and, and, and a mouse. So that's a place where I expect to see some innovation. Um, the other one is around quality management. The idea of synthesizing structured, semi-structured, unstructured data and asking questions, what are the patterns, right? So for this batch of product that yielded poorly, what are the patterns associated with the batch that yielded poorly compared to all the good products? What's different? And I think that LLMs and generative AI can play a role there at synthesizing all of that data and surfacing those patterns. Hmm. And so then, is, oh, sorry. Well, I just comment on a couple other examples where yeah, I think yeah, yeah. some innovation is um, not surprising in the space of troubleshooting. 
um, give me the, you know, advise me, this is what I'm seeing uh, on the equipment. I'm getting these errors. I'm getting this, um, this problem with the product. Um, advise me on a troubleshooting stuff and the LLMs can use, you know, training from equipment logs and manuals and historical data to really give you a very efficient path to resolving problems um, within equipment. Those are some of the ways I think it's going to emerge first within the manufacturing industry. Gotcha. So these partnerships with Microsoft and, and NVIDIA, these are, I think, I think the way I saw it described was creating like a chat GPT that's just about all about the enterprise that I'm in or that I want like I'm asking it questions and it's pulling from all my, it's building its large language models from all the data that I've given it. So it's really just all about my enterprise. And I can simply just ask it questions like I would ask a chat BT, a GPT a question. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's a few ways to think about what becomes possible with these uh, partnerships. Um, the first one is the ability to securely run third-party models um, on your data in Snowflake. So using the container services, including the announcement of uh, NVIDIA's GPUs being available in our container services, that really opens that up. And the idea would be to fine tune uh, these models on your own internal data without risk of that data leaving your governed you know, secure perimeter. So that's a place where we're gonna see a lot of um, uh, capability, but also Snowflake has native capability in hmm. these LLMs. And one of these is what we call our document intelligence capability. So for manufacturers who are still maybe working in, with documents of data, um, it could be handwritten notes from you know, an inspection, it could be a document provided by a third party, um, we have the ability to query those documents as if they are data in rows and columns. Hmm. So this document intelligence is something that is native to Snowflake now through an acquisition um, we, we did a while back of Applica. Um, and then the third way I'd say that these are gonna come to life in Snowflake is by building applications that have that um, human uh, you know, interface to it, conversational interface, if you will, um, and doing that in a technology called Streamlit. Uh, Streamlit is also a company that Snowflake has acquired, and they have a, a means to create lightweight uh, user interfaces in Python running inside Snowflake's Elastic environment. So we'll see more apps be built in Snowflake that have that capability uh, of providing more conversational interface. Um, and then lastly, we're going to use LLMs internal to Snowflake to make Snowflake's Snowflake incredibly easy to use, help you find data in our marketplace more efficiently as well as help uh, our customers create their code where they need to code um, more efficiently through things like better autocomplete or suggestions within their development environments. So hmm. there's so many places that these types of modeling techniques and, and additional resources we have through these partnerships are going to open new doors um, and help our community develop and create solutions even faster. Gotcha. Gotcha. Is it worth talking about the security? Like I imagine some companies are very, if I'm putting it in the cloud and there are a bunch of other companies that are also in the cloud, some of whom may be my competitors who I don't want necessarily to know what I'm up to <laughs> in a sense. Um, is there, does it make sense to talk about containerization or like the, the firewalls between customers or the uh, encryption from like external bad players who might try and 
Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I'm I'm not our security expert, but I can sure. tell you as a, a a buyer of Snowflake uh, in that um, practitioner role that I played, our information security team got very comfortable very quickly with Snowflake's attention to detail in the security space, whether it's how we manage encryption and the keys around the encryption, how data are separated. Um, how the compute is containerized, all of those things um, we found to be very, very effective at you know, passing the security threshold um, for organizations, especially when compared to traditional on-premise solutions, mm. which tend to be, um, you know, have gaping security holes in them um, that maybe we don't need to get into in, in too much detail. <laughs> but sure. um, we've seen, you know, very successful with you know, with some of the world's largest manufacturers who are very concerned about IP protection, they've been very successful in Snowflake with our security protocols. Gotcha. Just just a few more clean, uh, sort of uh, sweeping up questions. Um, is Snowflake purely uh, a cloud solution? Are there sort of hybrid uh, local uh, slash cloud installations possible? Is that a thing? Yeah, so I would say think of Snowflake. Um, the it, the computing engine itself is purely cloud native. We leverage the cloud's scale, uh, and you know that's where we're where we continue to focus. What we do have is the ability to use that scale for compute on local storage. So this is something that we call external uh, tables, where you could actually choose to manage. If you wanted to, within your own, uh, you know, your own server room, uh, storage device that is compliant with certain cloud protocols, like the S3 uh, protocol, you could choose to store that on premise, but use Snowflake's computing engine in the cloud. Mm -hmm. um, and in some cases, you know, customers have they just can't, they simply can't move it all for one reason or another. Either it's too big or or um, there's other, you know, reasons, whether, you know, um, security concerns of some kind, they may find that as an attractive approach. Generally speaking, you know, the lion's share of our customers get comfortable with the idea of moving it to the cloud um, and they bring it all up and, and they're glad they did. But we do have options in, in some cases for um, those who just aren't ready to make that type of a move. Gotcha. Um, I would say just continuing your question, just to maybe that next step, which, which is yeah. so much of manufacturing on the shop floor um, does require sort of, you know, real time, um, highly reliable services to make decisions that can be related to things like safety or related to things like, you know, interdiction in a process of stopping the manufacturing process. Mm. Uh, those types of use cases, uh, we're still seeing a hybrid approach. The data find their way to, to Snowflake for training of those types of models and decision, sure. um, you know, decision models. And then those models are often deployed back at the edge. Um, so in that case, the architecture is hybrid, but Snowflake's role continues to be that cloud scale. Gotcha. But it, the important thing is that it's a two-way communication. It's not just data going from the shop floor up to somewhere, and then maybe it trickles back down to the guys on the floor eventually. This is a sort of a back and forth between the cloud solution and, and all the way down to the edge. Yeah, it's a great way to think about it. Okay. Last question. I think we touched on a little bit and, and we sort of, but the pricing model, uh, I think is somewhat might warrant like a discussion as to how that, how that works. 
as opposed to say an S3 or a or a you know an Azure or or whatever. Yeah, well, I would say you know Snowflake is leading in terms of our our pricing model. It is a consumption based model, much like sure. a utility is, and we really think that's the future of how software is going to be um, priced and sold. So many organizations are tired of buying a bunch of um, you know paying for a bunch of software that doesn't get used and sits on the shelf. Um, in Snowflake, you pay for what you use, and we give you incredible amount of controls to set budgets around certain workloads or to analyze the cost performance of certain workloads um, in the event that you want to focus on you know, cost reduction in certain categories, and we help our customers do that. So we, we, we think we're sort of in a, a leadership position there um, in the industry as it moves into this next phase and in, in consumption-based models. Um, is really where it's at. It gives the most control to the customer. Um, we can, you know, in some cases, there may be workloads that are incredibly critical for end of quarter, and you need to, you know, crunch those numbers in, in you know, 10 minutes instead of eight hours. And we want to be able to give you those resources on demand to do that. Um, and then that may be a special situation. You don't need to do that again until the next month or the next quarter. And so uh, our view is that we want to provide you the best means to get into your outcomes. And we think the consumption model does that. So high level of transparency as to what you're not going to get hit with a, a month in or a quarterly end bill that you're like, whoa, where the hell did this come from? Yeah, exactly. We do provide that type of transparency and we're always providing additional tools to make sure that organizations have every you know um, type of concern addressed through their in their systems. Gotcha. I know this is a very large topic, and I think I hope we uh, we got to most of the things that uh, I think uh, that I wanted to to cover. Is there anything else that you think is important that I didn't know to ask, or or that that we didn't get to? Yeah, I would say um, you know for your listener base, think of Snowflake as a means to bring your organizations together in an incredible data foundation, and then think about what becomes possible when you have that data together in one place, both within a supply chain context, uh, as well as within smart manufacturing. And I think that when, when you see what we can do and what we have done for other manufacturers, um, we'd invite you to give it a try and come on over and, um, and talk with us here at Snowflake. Great. All right. Well, thank you very much, Tim. I appreciate you taking the time explaining all this for us. Thank you, Mike. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the Design Engineering Podcast's other episodes at www.design-engineering.com slash podcasts, or subscribe to the podcast via the major streaming services, including Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts.